Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this edition of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Dr. Cherie Carter-Scott. Dr. Cherie is a best-selling author, also a master certified executive and life coach. How are you today, Cherie? Thank you, Mark. I'm doing really well. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy for you to be. It's always exciting for me where I get to interview great minds, people that have achieved greatness, like through different industries for this amazing podcast called Brains Magazine Podcast. So really excited to have the privilege of spending a bit of time with you today. Super. I really want to just dive straight in with you because I always think time is of the essence. Always love to get right in there. Now, you're called the mother of coaching. How, how does that feel, Cherie? And, and, and what kind of responsibility do you feel that comes with? Well, it feels great because I started coaching in 1974. And for most people who I work with, they hadn't been born yet. <laughs> and so they look to me as their mother, their grandmother, or somebody who has been doing this a very long time. And it's something that I, I feel honored to be the mother of coaching. It's something that I feel is, you know, we haven't found anybody who predates me. Let's put it that way. And, and I guess when we do, maybe I'll lose my title. But so far, my students started calling me that way back when. They said, you know, you're, you're like our mother, but you're really the mother of coaching. And I said, hey, thanks. Thanks for the title. <laughs> so it feels great. I was going to ask you, you know, for, for me, because I've been coaching and mentoring as well for the last 12 years, and it seems it seems like everybody is a coach these days and it does get a little bit, I find kind of, for me, it has a bit of a negative slur on it. Do you feel like the industry needs to be regulated? And do you feel like maybe as the mother of coaching that you have some, some own personal thoughts when it comes to that? You know, the international coaching federation and the EMCC, which is the, uh, European Mentoring and Coaching Council actually have those responsibilities of ensuring the standards, the ethical guidelines, and that people live up to those who are part of those organizations. There are about five organizations that do that. That's not my task. As a matter of fact, back when in the 70s, I thought, one day, I believe this is going to be a profession. And I started investigating how one starts a profession. And it was way too bureaucratic and red tape for me to even consider. And I would have lost my love of the coaching world altogether. <clears throat> for me, I think that the ultimate goal of coaching is to have everyone on earth possess the capabilities and the competencies of a coach that have a lot to do with growth mindset and respect and kindness and compassion and support and active listening. I mean, all these skills are I think, really desirable for everyone. So as far as I'm concerned, we can't have too many coaches on earth. Maybe not everybody wants to make it their profession, but the skills involved in coaching are so 
important, especially for the world that we live in right now, which is so contentious. Mm. What would you say is, is, is most important then, uh, Dr. Shuri? Life experience or, or the academia and the understanding and, and maybe the credentials through doing a diploma or, or whatever it looks like within, within coaching? Well, uh, the answer is not even either one of the things that you mentioned, because I think it's, it's really the, the pure curiosity and the eagerness to find out what somebody else holds to be true in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit, and to understand their reality. And very often we train that out of our children when they're two years old. And we say, stop asking me all those questions. And they do, they behave themselves. But what we do when we train coaches is we help them rehabilitate that childlike curiosity that isn't afraid to ask questions and isn't embarrassed that they're going to be too intrusive or that they're going to put somebody on the spot. But really the curious questions that somebody wants to know about another person that the person doesn't usually ask themselves. Now, second to that, I think life experience is really valuable especially if the person has learned lessons from the life experience, as opposed to just repeating the same lessons over and over again. Very, very nicely put. That's interesting. Now for people that are, are kind of picking up the path of, of coaching, maybe they're only a year in, or maybe they're just starting, they've just started coaching, you know, what would be some of your top advice for, for new coaches? It depends on what their goals are. We always start with goals and coaching because it's the most important thing. And to not start with goals means that we're gonna be making some assumptions and possibly projecting that onto the person. So if I were talking to a new coach, I would say to them, what are your goals? Let's say, what are your goals for 2022 next year? And then sit down and say, well, what do you wanna do with coaching? How do you wanna grow yourself? Do you wanna grow your clientele? What are your goals? And based on what those goals were, I would say, well, if you want to know what I would do in your shoes, I can share that with you. But please keep it in mind that we're different people. We're different ages, we're different nationalities, maybe different genders. You know, we're different. So what I would do is not necessarily what you would do, but maybe gives you some kind of a catalyst to be able to discover something that you think is important for you. Yeah. I think you're right in terms of it has to be individualistic. It has to be based on your own personal profile. And as you said, curiosity in terms of what problem can you solve for those, for those around you? I think one of the most important questions that people need to ask, especially if they're looking for a coach or mentor is this question of, of who, who should be my coach, who should be my mentor what would be some of your thoughts on what should a, um, an individual be looking for when it comes to hiring a coach? It's interesting that you would ask that question, Mark, because I think that question is so critically important that I actually devoted a chapter in this book here called Transformational Life Coaching to that exact question. And I outline all the different things that you want to ask a coach to be able to find out you know, are we a match? What are your values? What's your style? What's your methodology? Are you punitive? Are you supportive? What if I don't do my homework? I mean, all the questions that a person would need to ask to see if they're a match, because, you know, all of us have had some education over the years. It might've been in 
elementary school or high school or college or graduate school, or even learning a new language. We've had teachers that we loved and we had teachers that we really were afraid of and teachers that we dreaded seeing. I believe that you should always look forward to seeing your coach or mentor. It should be one of those feelings like, oh boy, I can't wait. We're gonna have a session together. And so choosing the person carefully that you're not afraid of or intimidated by, but that you really feel that you want to grow up and have some of their qualities. I think that's really important. Yeah, I do too, because I think otherwise, if you end up working with the wrong one, you have a negative experience. Some people then are put off from coaching, you know, as well. And, you know, I think it is so important that we quantify the individual. I also think it's really important that you go find someone who's doing something that you want to do, you know, alongside that chemistry and and that likability and totally agree with you. You know, you're wanting to be looking forward to the session, not kind of like dreading it or feeling it's kind of more about accountability than it is about, you know, actually enjoyment and being poured into. Yeah, as a matter of fact, several decades ago, a woman contacted me and she, I don't know how she even got my name, but she said, you know, I'm a coach and I'd like to be your coach. And I thought, well, what the heck, I'll try her out. And I did try her out and she was ghastly. She was really ghastly. And I can't say how dreadful she was. She was mean. She was punitive. She was judgmental. She was hostile. Um, She would call me out on things. And I, I said to her, I said, you know, I, I have to tell you, I need to fire you um, because this is not working for me. And then she started criticizing me again. And I said, we're done here. And I said goodbye to her. And I thought, gosh, I really see how much our coaching is needed in the world today. Because if somebody's calling herself a coach and acting in that way, ooh, that's not good at all. Mm. I love the fact that you were used the word ghastly. My my late grandmother, who was 96 and a serial entrepreneur, she would always uh, use that word. So you brought back a nice uh, warm memory when you when you mentioned that word ghastly. I'm, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that. You know, people don't use that word these days, and I love it because it's so. Um, it almost says it all when the when the way you you utter it. So I like words that reveal what they're saying when you pronounce them. Yeah, me too. So you really took you took me to a happy place there. Now, the flip side of um, the question I asked, but also I think this is important, too, because I find that when you're new in business, you tend to say yes to everything. And uh, I always try and get people to to look before they commit. But what should a coach be looking for in a client? Because often we we talk about what a what a client should look for in a coach. But actually, you know, that for me, there has to be times where actually we don't say yes to every client. So what should we be looking for? Well, that's why we call them a chemistry session. Mm. And a chemistry session is when a new prospective client says, you know, I'm interested in this thing that you're doing called mentoring, as you do, or coaching. And um, I'd like to talk to you about it. And we say, great. It's a complimentary session where we sit down together, kind of like this. And we explain what coaching is, what mentoring is, what consulting is, what therapy is, the differences between them, the expectations involved. And we talk about what's required of the client from the coach and what the client can expect from the coach. So it's a two-way street, a real partnership. And um, in that conversation, what I usually address is full communication. So if there's something that I've done as the coach 
that has offended you. And I'm, I'm unaware of it because, you know, I'm an American and Americans offend people. So, uh, you know, could happen. But I'd like to know about it as opposed to you keeping it to yourself and holding it against me. I'd like you to disclose it to me so that I can address it and we can address it together and get the wrinkle out of our relationship. Mm. The other thing that I ask for is I ask for um, communication about, say, homework. Because when it's time to look at homework, I usually ask the client, I've heard you say X, Y, and Z. How would you feel about doing some research related to those? Or how would you feel about contacting this person that you said would be really important for you to contact? So I recall what they say and I offer it to them without attachment, but I offer it to them as part of their homework. I want them to be honest with me. I don't want them to, sure, yes, I'll do that, fine, no problem. And really it's a lie. And we don't call it a lie, but it's not the truth. And so I'll ask them, please be honest with me. And I don't want to keep asking you about that. I want you to be honest with me, knowing that I can handle the truth. And that if I know the truth together, we can address it and we can find out what's going to work for you because coaching needs to be about you and you getting what you want. It's not about me. Mm. That's well said, you know, because we only cheat ourselves out of our own opportunity and growth. You know, and if we're going to invest the time and the money, we want, I always say you want to glean every ounce of wisdom, knowledge that you can from a coach. Once you've done that, you move on to the next one. Right. Exactly. Very good. What do you think take what do you think it takes to to be a great coach? You know, and uh, you know, if you've been in the industry for 40 years, Dr. Shree, what's what's made you or kept you moving the needle forward, improving yourself and not resting on your laurels? Well, I call that living life as a coach. And there are 12 keys to living life as a coach. And the very first one is to be enjoying your life. Once upon a time, I talked to a coach in Holland and we were having a very friendly conversation. And she was talking about the different languages she spoke. And people in Holland usually speak at least three, if not five languages. And I was commenting, I said, it's really wonderful. Is there a favorite? And she said, oh yes, my favorite is Spanish. And I said, really? And she said, I love Spanish. I love Spain. I, if I could have my wish, I would be living there. And I stopped and I kind of took a breath and I said, well, uh, do you have a plan to do that? And she said, oh no, that would not be possible. And she went into a whole explanation of why she couldn't have what she wanted. That's not a great example of a coach because you want a coach who's actually living their dreams, who's actually gone through the process of confusion, doubt, uncertainty, and fear, and gone for that thing that they long for but believe somewhere inside that maybe I can't, or maybe I couldn't, and that they're overcoming that adversity, those challenges, the yabuts of the mind, and they're going for it and they're living it. That's the kind of person that I want to coach me, not some person who's going to agree with my reasons and excuses and explanations and justifications of why I can't have what I want. And that's why, you know, whether it was learning to fly a plane or it was producing a musical that I wrote and composed and uh, created from scratch, or whether it was going for my PhD, 
I mean, everything that I have done in my life has been overcoming obstacles, either internal or external. And I mean, every single one of them has been not a piece of cake, not a little thing. It's been a journey. And because I've overcome them, I believe that other people can too. And that's what I bring to coaching is if I can do it, so can you. And, and that's why people choose me because they think, well, gosh, you know, you've, you've done a lot that was in your day seemingly impossible. And it was, I mean, nobody in my family was ever in aviation. Nobody in my family ever composed and wrote and produced a, a show that was produced in, in Bangkok. I mean, the things that I've done, I'm proud of, but I'm not so proud of them as holding them as examples for people. Hey, look, come on. You want to live in Spain? You can live in Spain. Let's make a plan to make it happen. Let's not just discount and discredit and disqualify the fact that that's your passion. I think you, at the start, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said living life as a coach, because I think you really shone a light there because I think there's a lot of coaches that talk a good talk, but unless your lifestyle and the way that you live and you're living out that which you're wanting to encourage and inspire others, you know, then, you, then you're really uh, lacking. So I like that you really mentioned that one. What did you mean by a your bot of the mind? I think you said a your bot. Oh, yeah, but. Yeah, well, but. Okay. <clears throat> oh, yeah, just, but. Okay. Let's say yeah, but. I mean, because let's just say that when I kept getting this recurring message about uh, this musical, because a lot of our work, especially in a, a program we do called Inner Negotiation, is about people um, giving themselves permission to be bigger, brighter, stronger, more passionate, um, as you used the word greatness before, to embrace their greatness. And sometimes embracing their greatness means going to a bigger dimension of who they are. So uh, I've been doing these workshops for, you know, four decades plus. And every time we do one, that little voice comes up inside my head saying, you know, this would make great theater. And it's like, yeah, it really would. It's really phenomenal theater because it's allowing using the coaching with individuals who are in the workshop about them going for it, whatever it happens to be. Now, when they're going for it, they'll be that, yeah, but you're too young. Yeah, but you're too old. Yeah, but you're not educated enough. Yeah, but you don't have enough power. Yeah, but you're not so, not confident enough. Yeah, but you're too. And the yeah, buts will go on and on and on forever. And so when I say overcoming the yeah, buts, with me, with my production called The Workshop, A Dress Rehearsal for Life, the little voice would say, yeah, but you didn't go to Juilliard. Yeah, but you haven't really done anything in the theater for years. Yeah, but you're not a composer. Yeah, but you don't really know how to play an instrument professionally. Yeah, but and the yeah, buts would just be an avalanche coming down on me. And in order for me to be able to get beyond them, I would have to handle each one and overcome it and be able to address it and to be able to say, you're right. I didn't go to Juilliard. I'm not a composer. I do not play the violin and I'm going to do it anyway. Beautiful. I, I, I think I'm a little embarrassed actually by the question, because when I first heard you say it, I thought it was one word 
this new word that you had created called yabut. <laughs> and then when I then when I asked you, and then you broke it down to actually I I mean yeah, but and then gave all those examples. I was like, now I now I actually get it. So, so that's quite funny. Uh, thank you for appeasing me though. Dr. Cherie, right now, obviously, there's so much going on in our world. You know, yeah. pandemics driven a lot of, of a lot of that, a lot of unrest, anxiety, uncertainty, you know, social behavior, human behaviors changed as well. What do you feel like the world needs right now more than ever? Understanding compassion, care, and kindness more than anything, because you know, I just talked to someone yesterday who who makes food for us and juices. And she wrote me a text and she said, I can't bring food tomorrow because another friend of ours has just passed away. And I wrote her back and I said, well, don't worry about us. We've got enough peanut butter and jelly. We're just fine. But please accept our condolences and our sympathies for the passing of someone who is dear to you, because that's always hard on us. And, you know, we will be fine. And let us know when you're ready to come back and, and help us with our food needs but in the meantime um you know accept our our well wishes for this difficult time mm. so i think it's i think that that's what we need more than anything is less contentiousness less anger i mean if people are angry great get it out in private but don't take it out on your neighbor don't take it out on people who who don't need to have more stress added to their life take it out in private but if you're if you can do some random act of kindness to help someone in a moment that's that's difficult that's uncomfortable if you can listen inside to how you can give back how you can contribute how you can judge less i mean we we live on the beach and you know the ocean is literally regurgitating plastic on a daily basis and i look at it and there's part of me that says do you feel strong enough to go down to the beach and right now that's a that's a big deal and pick up the garbage and put it in a bag and take it to the garbage area and sometimes i get my husband to help me do that and sometimes he says he's busy and then i have to say okay you know can i get myself down there because the ocean's taken a lot of the sand away so the drop down is about 20 feet so it's not just walking down the stairs it's kind of taking a circuitous route but the key thing here is i feel for the ocean I care for it. I love it. And, you know, it's like I never thought of myself as becoming a garbage collector, but it's what I'm drawn to do is to do my little piece, my little part of what I can do to make a difference each day. That's beautiful. It's amazing the things that, that pull on our heart then give us the, the motivation and, and the and the how and also the reason for why why we do things you know the fact that it's i know that people you know think that water's very healing it, it's very tranquil it, it gives back and so if we can somehow help it then then we're, we're moved to do that so dr shuri i'd love to ask you about what are the 10 rules the day you were born it's always been something that's kind of stood out to me when i've done a bit of research on, on yourself. Would love, to, would love to hear about these 10 rules. Well, in 1974, a colleague and I were sitting down talking about um, a training that I wanted to put together to help people help each other. 
nowadays we call it coaching. But she said to me, you know, being human is kind of challenging. I mean, how do you know if you're supposed to turn right or turn left or go straight? It's hard to know what to do. I said, yeah, it really is. And she said, what would you do? I said, I think what I would do is I would, I would create the rules for being human. And she said, well, where would you start? I said, I'd start with a body because everyone I know has one. And you have to deal with the body. I mean, the body is not always what you wanted it to be. It's not necessarily perfect. It's not ideal. And it doesn't have a return policy. You know, there's no refund given. You can't say, hey, God, can I have another one? I, I, I didn't choose this one. I'd like a little petite one or I'd like something different. So you have to deal with the body however it comes. You know, whatever gender you are, whatever race you are, whatever ethnicity, whatever, um, where, you, where you end up, you have to deal with the body. It's absolutely the essential thing about being human. You have to start there. Then she said, well, what comes after the body? And I said, well, the next thing is you will be presented with lessons. And she said, well, what kind of lessons? I said, all kinds of lessons. Everybody who's in a body walking around has got lessons. And they might be lessons that deal with integrity or kindness or um, arrogance or uh, innocence or curiosity. I mean, Lessons abound, willingness or rigidity or even growth mindset, as we talk about in coaching. People will have lessons and they have to learn them or they will have to repeat them. But before they have to repeat them is number three. There are no mistakes, only lessons. Two different philosophies of life. One philosophy is you, you've got to be perfect. You've got to do everything perfectly and you can make no mistakes. Well, that creates a heck of a lot of stress for people trying to be perfect all the time. And it's just not realistic because as people, as humans, we are bound to make mistakes and we're supposed to learn from them, which takes us to number four, lessons are repeated until learned. You're going to repeat the lesson until you learn it because you have to keep repeating that grade or that, that curriculum. And if you don't learn it, you just get to keep repeating it. Now, it may show up in another body, or it may show up in another environment, or it may show up in a mirror of how you hold yourself. But mm. you're going to have those lessons repeat themselves regardless. Number five is learning does not end. There is no point in our lives that we get to coast, go on permanent vacation. You know, we used to think that retirement might be a permanent vacation. But it's just not true. At every age, we get to deal with the new challenges, the new lessons that we're learning. So whether it's losing capabilities when we get older or losing loved ones or um, having to come to terms with a new purpose in life, I mean, everybody has something to learn. And at every different phase of life, it just doesn't stop. Number six is there is no better than here. So when you get to there, at least in the English language, the T comes off and there becomes here. <laughs> then you have a whole new set of theirs to be able to explore and to experiment with. But in there is no better than here. We often think that over there is better. The green, the grass is greener. Life is better. It's more exciting when I have more money, when I have the relationship, when I have the health, when I have the opportunities. Life is going to get better. But you know, it's going to be different. 
it's not necessarily going to be better when you have more money because then you have to worry about people taking it from you or making the wrong investments or losing it all. So it's not necessarily better. It's just different. Seven is others are only mirrors of you. So whether you appreciate, admire, or have someone that you look up to, that actually is your set of those qualities that you want to aspire to, that you want to embrace, that you want to be part of you. And if you have somebody that you judge negatively, harshly, or cruelly, perhaps those are the parts of yourself that you haven't yet embraced, that you haven't yet said, yes, that's part of me. And I can point it out there and project it onto that person. But if I looked a little bit deeper at my feelings inside myself, maybe it's saying something about me more than it's saying about the person I'm judging. Number eight is what you make of your life is up to you, which comes down to the choices that we make and how we show up and those defining moments that really let us know that the choices that we make are about who we are inside. Number nine is all the answers lie inside of you. So at any different crossroads, we could look inside ourselves and see, hmm, what's my guidance? What does my message say? What am I getting guided to do or to say or how to grow? What do I need to do to stretch myself? And then number 10 is you will forget all of this at birth. The good news is you can remember it if you actually look at the dance between remembering and forgetting, which is the dance of consciousness of all humans. Because if we remembered everything all the time, well, there wouldn't be any challenge. And if we forgot everything all the time, there wouldn't be any game at all. Actually, it's that interesting balance between remembering and forgetting the lessons, the learnings, the purpose, what we're doing here that allow us to grow in this path called being human. Love it. Love that. Those rules are so good. And, and they're featured around a book that you've wrote, which is called what, Dr. Shuri? If life is a game, these are the rules, 10 rules for being human. Beautiful. And people can get that on Amazon and, and other bookstores. They, they can, but if they want a signed copy, it would be best to go to my website, drsheree.com, and get a personally signed copy to themselves or their friends or loved ones, because that's a little bit more personal. Mm. Yeah, that sounds much better, getting a signed copy, of course. So uh, great rules. Love those. One final question I have for you, uh, Dr. Shuri. If you didn't exist, why would the world need to create you? I think that why I was asked to come here to this life was to actually create and train the very best coaches in the world. That I discovered along my journey as my purpose of why I'm here. It wasn't easy to discover it. It was something that I kind of fought with because when I, my mother was, my, when I was 20 years old, my mother passed away and quite unexpectedly. And then my father got me married and um, he moved to Florida and I was kind of cast adrift. And I was wondering, what am I doing here? That same little child from four years old is now 20, thinking, what's the purpose of my life? What am I here to do? Am I supposed to have a career? Am I supposed to get married? Am I supposed to have kids? What am I doing? And it was a real dilemma. 
Now, as the case would be, I asked everybody else their opinion because my answers were not accepted when I was little. And so I asked the people, what do you think I should do? What would I be good at? What do you, what do you see me doing? And of course, as the case would be, everybody had an opinion for me. Some people said, oh, you should go into law because you'd be good in the courtroom. Other people said, you know, I think you'd be good at medicine because you have some healing qualities about you. Somebody else said real estate. Somebody else said sell vitamins. I was so confused after I'd asked everyone my questions. I thought to myself, good God, how do I make a choice? Well, I didn't know what to do. So I turned to God himself and I said, hey, can you give me some guidance? Can you let me know what you think? I should be doing. Send me a message. I don't, I don't need a burning bush, but send me some sort of a message so that I can get that, you know, we're in communication. I did start getting messages. And the first message was, you're a catalyst. I thought, well, that's nice. I'm not really sure what it means, but that's a very nice message. And then I got a second message. The second one said, you're to work in growth and development. And I thought, I know what that is. That's good news. And the third one was, um, you have a gift for working with people. So I put them all together. I'm a catalyst who works with people in their growth and development. What the heck am I gonna do with that? I asked for a message and I got this riddle and I don't know how to solve the riddle. I mean, my goodness, what do I do? Put it on a business card? Catalyst, working with people on their growth and development. Oh God, that sounds so strange. Do I go to networking meetings? So I ask people, you know, what do you do? And they say to me, well, what do you do? I'm a catalyst and I work with people on their growth and development. It's kind of weird. I thought to myself, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? Why was I given these messages? And then my friend Lloyd called me and he said to me, hey, I'd like you to work with me on my business. And I said, no, I'm busy trying to figure out the purpose of my life. And he called a second time. The second time he called, I said, what's, what's going on, Lloyd? He said, I really want you to work with me on my business. And I said, I know nothing about business. There are people who do that for a living. Call one of those nice people. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. He called a third time. And I said, what gives? Why me? Why are you asking me to do something I'm not qualified to do? I probably am not competent to do. Why are you asking me? He said, well, that's pretty simple. It's because I trust you. I said, well, that's really important. Trust. I said, but you know, and if I'm really honest, Lloyd, I don't know anything. He said, that could be really helpful. If you could use your honesty and your curiosity to ask me questions and help me find my answers, I think it would be a great combination. And he was my very first client. And when we completed our, our assignment together, he started telling people about the woman who asks the great questions. And that's how my brand got started in San Francisco, October, 1974. Wow. What a beautiful serendipitous moment that was. How, how encouraging and, and amazing that your business uh, started off on that footing as well. And especially when somebody sees something in you that you haven't fully seen in yourself. Like I, I love that, let alone yes. what you've ended up doing with your life ever since. Exactly. It's one of those things that, you know, the, the little messages, almost like you get on a, a tea bag, you know, a little, a little saying. It was like, 
they were coming to me and I was thinking, what do I do with them? What do I do with them? I don't know what to do. And then he came like a cameo appearance in my life with a request for me to help him with his business, which I thought was totally bizarre. And then all of a sudden, that was the turning point. It was a defining moment for me when yeah. I realized that this was what I was here to do. Your next book will have to be called Pink Lloyd. You can play off uh, <laughs> Pink Floyd and have a real catchy uh, book about that wonderful story. How That was awesome. How do people uh, connect with you, Dr. Cherie? Well, if they go to my website, which is drsheree.com, six letters, C-H-E-R-I-E, drsheree.com, they can find out what I'm doing, um, find out more about the books that I've written, they can be in touch with me. I answer almost every email I receive. I love being accessible to people. I don't want to be in an ivory tower, but people can reach me and whatever they want, whatever they need. From free coaching with my students to very um, accessible blogs written by me, I'm happy to have people be able to use whatever I can give them because that's why I was put on earth. Love that. It's been a, a pleasure and honor to interview you today. And I hope you have a, a great rest of the year as we've only got a few months left. That's right. It's flying by. It is. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.